Good morning, church family. Today's scripture reading is from the Good News according to Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet and see that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. Lord, we have heard that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It did not simply say that a Word was spoken to us, but the Word became flesh. The Word had a body. We pray, O Lord, that through the power of your word, you might touch not only our minds, but our hearts and our guts. Open us to your good news of life abundant and life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was training to be a minister, I served as a chaplain intern at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver for seven weeks. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I feel really for my supervisor, but that's neither here nor there at the time. But during that time, I was posted there for a few days. Uh, or f sorry, I was posted to the short-term surgery ward, which is was filled with people who would be there for a few days or a few weeks just to get their surgical procedure done and sent home. It was a bit of a challenging place to be. One man who I visited, who was in his mid-30s, was living with Crohn's disease. And I won't go too far into that, but if you're unfamiliar, it's an inflammation of your digestive tract, which can lead to abdominal pain, fatigue, weight loss, among many other challenges. And this surgery was yet another in a long line of surgeries to keep his health steady and, re and to relieve his pain. 
His pain was so bad that it caused him to be virtually immobilized for most of each day and confined to his home where he was cared for by his two elderly parents. He, he was often in low spirits, but glad for the visit. Being young, arrogant, and healthy myself, I was certain that I could fix this guy's problem. I could pull something out of my religious toolkit that would pick him up and send him home a new and reinvigorated person. God loves you, I'd say. And he'd just sort of nod in understanding. You're not alone in your suffering, I'd author. God is with you. And then another nod. Okay. At least you've got a lot to be grateful for, I pointed out. That's true, he replied, and just turned back to staring at the ceiling. When it came down to it, there was nothing that I said that proved to be a magic bullet that would release him from uh, physical, emotional, or any other kind of discomfort. Nothing I said seemed to fix him. Eventually, though, he just confided in me that he was just sick and tired of his body. Why was I born with this one? He asked me, resentment hanging in the air. And when I couldn't come up with a good answer, he told me that a lot of, day, that a lot of days that he experienced, during a lot of days that he experienced, dying sounded like it might have been preferable to living. Because at least if he were dead, he would be, feel relieved from his suffering. Our bodies can be a real mixed bag. When we're younger, if we're healthy, they are our friends. They keep growing, adapting to circumstances, partnering with us for success, procreation, and development. Some of us are lucky enough, either through genetics or habit or a combination of both, to have this extend pretty far. But for others, like my friend in the short-term surgical ward, it can be different. Crohn's disease for some, depression caused by a chemical imbalance for others, or an addiction fomenting brain injury. No matter what or when, though, all of us experience our bodies as a source of challenge, disappointment, suffering, or strife. It's just a matter of when. It's liable to make us feel like our bodies are a problem to be solved. It's what makes cosmic, cosmetic surgery such a lucrative profession. It's what makes assisted death so appealing too. We don't have to let our bodies betray us with pain. And just think, if we didn't have these biological systems, lungs and all those various other things, pandemics wouldn't even be an issue at all. Without bodies, we wouldn't have to worry about so much. Bodies, you might say, can be pretty problematic. All of this, though, makes today's scripture all the more interesting because it is all about the importance 
of the physical body. And Jesus' disciples are all gathered, all a Twitter with this incredible news. They've heard that Jesus, who'd been crucified three days earlier, is somehow alive. One report cites angels in an empty tomb. Another has Jesus meeting a couple of disciples on the road. And he just disappeared as soon as he'd broken some bread. And Simon Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, apparently had his own encounter with the risen Christ as well. It doesn't say, at least in Luke, what this was like, but he saw Jesus. And so while they're sharing their various Jesus sightings, suddenly our text tells us Jesus sort of appears among them. We don't know if it's like a sudden pop or like the you know, the Star Trek transporter where he just materializes. But here he is in their midst. And he arrives with the words, peace be with you, that deep peace of God, shalom. And the disciples are, of course, understandably freaked out, startled and terrified, the text tells us, because they think that Jesus is a shade. He's a specter, what Scooby-Doo might call a g-g-g-g-g-ghost. Immediately, Jesus presents them with the wounds in his hands and feet to get them to calm down the same hands and feet that were pinned to the cross. He invites them to look and touch, to see that the man standing in front of them isn't a ghost, but the same Jesus who walked with them, taught them, and was eventually abandoned and crucified. Jesus tells them, ghosts don't have flesh and bones like this. It's me, Jesus. And at this point, you can imagine sort of their peering eyes, investigating hands, cautiously reaching out, tracing bumpy scars. We're told that this is a moment of joy, and yet there is some lingering doubt. In their joy, it says, in their joy they were still disbelieving and wondering. I mean, despite seeing and touching, the disciples still aren't sure. I mean, what more proof do you need? Like, get out your microscopes and, you know, Bunsen burner. We're about to do a little scientific analysis. Jesus, give us a fingernail. No. Jesus asks for food. Got anything here to eat, he says. I mean, and if you've ever seen Ghostbusters, you'll know that the little green ghost, Slimer, who loves to eat, uh, he loves to eat, but everything just goes into his mouth and then it just falls out the bottom of him. Same idea here. A ghost wouldn't retain anything. He sits down. He takes a few bites of some broiled fish until he finishes it off. Ghosts don't eat, but Jesus does. Therefore, he's not a ghost. The risen Jesus here has a body. Now, you'd think some disembodied spirit would be preferable, right? No hunger, no sickness, can't crucify Casper. Considering the weak problematic, party-pooping nature of bodies. It's just bizarre that he spends over backwards to prove that he's not a ghost. And why, why, why is that? Because according to the Bible, 
The human body is the site of God's mercy and redemption. The whole of creation is, in fact. In the Bible's thinking, God didn't just create this universe to be discarded. In fact, in the first chapter of Genesis, the creation story, God creates the heaven and heavens and the earth and calls them both good. And include, that includes human bodies and animal bodies too. Genesis 1 is actually this great divine poem where God is constructing the universe as a temple, her dwelling place for all of eternity. And in the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul picks up this language, re- reminding his congregation that they are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul also talks about waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And the Apostles' Creed, which we say every second week, refers to the resurrection of the body rather than the immortality of the soul. And this is because human bodies, crappy, weak, and busted up as they may be, are the Lord's precious and beautiful creations fashioned to be God's dwelling place forever. And you know, the final chapter in the Bible might be the most evocative of this. Here we're shown the coming together of heaven and earth, the unseen spiritual realm and the physical realm in an everlasting embrace. God dwells in the midst of humanity and the world forever. See, it says... See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more as the first things have passed away. Some have criticized Christianity as a world-denying religion, that the goal is to leave all of this behind, this pulpit, this body, this bad haircut. And truth be told, some Christians have given this as a reason why we shouldn't care about the destruction of the earth. It's just a stepping stone to heaven anyway. But this is a complete misunderstanding of Scripture. God's end goal is not the sloughing off of creation like a used O. Henry wrapper. No. The scars in Jesus' hands and his feet and the fish in his belly point us towards the undoing of death, the healing of creation, of all ill and evil, and eternal joy in communion with its creator. This is what Easter signals. Jesus' resurrection is a preview of all things made right, the knitting together of God and humanity, of God and God's good world. Now, I don't know exactly how this works. I mean, I'm not going to get a Bunsen burner out in the, you know, the big chalkboard and put some formulas up there to say, well, this is the resurrection of, you go from here to here, and you get the resurrection of the body. We're not given blueprints in scripture, but something closer to poetry. We don't want to get too literalistic or precise. That part is ultimately a mystery. But Easter gives us a sneak preview 
of that final consummation where the temple of the universe is filled with God's glory forever. Not a single atom lost or forgotten, but brought to its glorious completion by the God we meet in Jesus Christ. Mended, set right for eternity. And that somehow includes me and you, not in some imagined ideal of version of ourselves, but our full selves as we are, body, mind, and soul. From dad bods to developmental disabilities, all things made new. So thinking back to my time in Vancouver, in the surgical ward again, I'm not sure exactly what I would have said or when I would have said it, but this is probably where I would have gone with my friend if I knew what I know now. And if I believed then what I believe now. That's what I might have said. And it's what I'm saying to you right now. Because of Easter, we can see our bodies as good and the objects of Christ's redemption, no matter how they might fail us. Doesn't mean that they'll be free of pain or suffering, but it does mean we can stop seeing them as problems to be solved, but mysteries to be lived with. We no longer have to resent them or be ashamed of them for what they are or what they aren't, what they can or can't do. We can stop fighting from them and fleeing from them as a burden to be left behind. And instead, we can see them as part of us to be lived with and befriended here and now in the same way that God has befriended them in his Son. knowing that in the same way that God took on flesh and in Christ suffered, died, and rose again, we can accept the weakness, pain, and hurt in our bodies as the gateway to experiencing God's healing and sustaining presence here and now. We can face these things with courage. We can encourage, build each other up, and bear one another's burdens in our bodies with the appropriate social distance for the time being, rather than just wishing them away or depleting ourselves in efforts to escape, trusting that all of it will one day give way to a future where it will simply not be the case. Our bodies, friends, may be a mixed bag They may be problematic, the source of so much woe, sadness, and disappointment. However yours may have failed you, though, is failing you now or in the future, know this. The good news is that God has befriended you in the totality of your existence. This very same body has been blessed from before the beginning of time and that in Jesus Christ it has been made holy and is one day destined to be made whole for eternity. 
all things made new. And to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might in our spirits, in our bodies, and the whole of creation forever. Amen. Please sing with me, love divine, all loves excelling. Love divine. 